0: Welcome to the Southcrest Live Podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. Hey, if you have your Bible, I hope you do. Go ahead and turn to Book of Psalms, Chapter 103. Book of Psalms, Chapter 103. Excited to study God's Word with you this morning. Have y'all, are y'all enjoying uh, the new glass doors around the church building? Yeah, it kind of brightens things up. It's pretty, if, if you only come in door A ever, then you don't know what I'm talking about, but on kind of what I'll call the older side of the church building, we have uh, we used to have just uh, regular white doors, and now they've been replaced with glass doors, and man, just a little more inviting, it's, it's beautiful, but a few weeks ago, my parents were in town, and uh, on a Thursday, I think it was, my dad was dropping me off at work. I felt like I was in kindergarten again, but uh, dad was dropping me off so he could borrow the Jeep all day. Excuse me. And as we pulled up to the church uh, in front of the office, he said, oh man, did somebody throw a rock through the window? And I was like, what? And I looked and sure enough, there was plywood over the glass doors. And for a second, I thought, oh no, someone vandalized the church. And then I realized, oh wait, no, that's just... That's part of the glass door project. I explained it to dad. Hey, they're just they're putting a glass window up there. He drove on his way. But as I walked into the church that morning, it hit me, I thought, we haven't even finished that project and I already forgot it's happening. Like we're in the midst of it and it's already lost on me that we're, that we're doing these new doors and how beautiful and how great they are. Sometimes we'll be, we'll be in a staff meeting and I'll be sharing something and then go, oh I man, I, I forgot where I was going with that. And Pastor David will say, man, you are a little too young to be doing that, right? (laughs) We we are forgetful people in general, but when it comes to God and his goodness to us, we are really forgetful. Like even just thinking of the glass doors, even in the middle of his goodness to us, like he's having even finished with whatever he's doing, the good thing for us, and it can be lost on us. We grow numb to it. We forget that God is good to us. Uh, if you if you don't get anything else, I'm not telling you to shut down right now, but if you don't get anything else this morning, know this: God is good to you Amen. objectively factually, he is good to you but but we don't always live with that reality, do we and when you forget you grow blind to how god- how good God is to you 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 grow apathetic, you just don't really care and I guess I read my Bible, whatever you show up to church, and you just kind of just go through the motions, no passion, no zeal for the Lord when you forget how good He is. then only that you you become ungrateful, so you become a little whiny brat <laughs> I'm trying to choose my words carefully here, but yeah you, you forget you know God's good to me and you just, you begin to where you just want all these things and you forget to be grateful for what God is doing for you. And in light of that, when you forget how good God is to you, you begin to long for the wrong things, don't you? I think about Adam and Eve in the garden. God said, you can eat from all these trees. Look at all this. It's all yours, every bit of it. And then Satan shows up to Eve and he's like, hey, what what about that one tree? Maybe God's, did God really say you can't eat from that tree? Maybe God's holding back something, some good things from you. And here we are all these years later, still reeling from her and him, longing for the wrong things, forgetting all that God had given them. And I got to have this one little thing. Or think about the Israelites. God delivered them from Egypt. It was incredible. It was miraculous. And they're beginning to wander in the desert, headed towards the promised land. And they're sitting around at night going, I wish we were still in Egypt. At least there we knew where our next meal was coming from. Just complaining and griping and bellyaching, forgetting that God was so good to them. You're apathetic, ungrateful, you long for the wrong things. Conversely, when you remember how good God is to you, look what happened. Look at verse 1 of 103. He says, my soul, he's talking to himself, bless the Lord. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. My soul, bless the Lord, and do not forget all his benefits. That's the posture of the heart that recognizes and remembers God is good to me. God, with all I have, with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, I want to love you. I want to bless you, for you are good to me. And maybe you're here this morning and like, You would say God is good to you. Yeah, God's good to me. But you don't feel it in your gut. This psalm is for you. Maybe you're here this morning, you go, I don't know, bro. That Brandon. (laughs) I I don't know if I would say God is good to me. This psalm is for you. David says, Hey, let me help you out. Let me remind you of God's goodness. Verse 3. Just to list a few. He forgives all your iniquity. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with faithful love and compassion. He satisfies you with good things. Your youth is renewed like the eagle. The Lord executes acts of righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He revealed his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love. He will not always accuse us or be angry forever. He has not dealt with us as our sins deserve or repaid us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his faithful love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Why? For he knows what we are made of, remembering that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass, he blooms like a flower of the field. When the wind passes over it, it vanishes. And his place is no longer known. But from eternity to eternity, the Lord's faithful love is toward those who fear him. And his righteousness toward the grandchildren of those who keep his covenant, who remember to observe his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, all his angels of great strength who do his word, obedient to his command. Bless the Lord, all his armies, his servants who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works and all the places where he rules. My soul, bless the Lord. Number one, how is God good to you? God doesn't hold your sins against you. Right out of the gate, what does he say in verse three? He forgives all your iniquity. He doesn't hold it against you. Iniquity, those straying from what God has told us to do. So straying from the things we know to do and straying into the things that he's told us not to do. All of those things, God will forgive you. He doesn't hold it against you. Look at what he says in verse nine. He will not always accuse us or be angry forever. He has not dealt with us as our sins deserve or repaid us according to our iniquities. Romans six twenty three. for the wages of sin is death. That's what we deserve. If he was gonna treat us as our iniquities, our sins deserve, repay us accordingly, here's the wage you earned through your sin. We deserve to die right now and go straight to hell. That's what we deserve. But he says, he doesn't do that. We could stop, we're not going to, but we could stop right now and that'd be enough to say, amen, God's good to me. Right. That's enough. He, he doesn't count it against us. Why? How, how can he do that? How can God still be just and not count our sins against us? Well, it was laid out all the way back in Leviticus chapter 16 of what the Old Testament people looked forward to in Jesus, we look back to in Jesus. We know that because of Jesus, because of the propitiation, the expiation of our sins, I'll unpack those in a second, that God the Father treated Jesus as our sins deserve so that we could be treated as Jesus deserves. That is what theologians call the great exchange. That's a pretty sweet deal. <laughs> Wait, God, you're going to treat me like Jesus deserves because he got treated like I deserve? Whew. That's grace. That's grace. I mentioned Leviticus 16. Leviticus 16, the day of atonement. It's laid out the instructions there. So several things happened. One thing I want to point out, I guess really two things. The high priest, Aaron, would take two goats, two male goats, and one was to be slaughtered, as it says, the text says, an atonement for the sins of the people says, he will make atonement for the most holy place in this way for all their sins because of the Israelites' impurities and rebellious acts. So it was a propitiation of God's wrath. So God's wrath was poured out on this goat, per se. It was a picture of God's wrath being poured out on a substitute so that God's grace could be, his mercy could be poured out on them. So God's wrath was satisfied through this sacrifice, Then there was another picture. They had another male goat that Aaron would lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the Israelites' iniquities and rebellious acts, all their sins. And then it said they would send it away into the wilderness. The goat will carry all their iniquities into a desolate land, and the man will release it there to never be seen again. So here we have, that's from Leviticus 16, but here we have in Psalm 103, both these concepts of propitiation. God doesn't treat me as my sins deserve because God paid the price for my sins. Jesus bore the wrath of my sins. But then we also have expiation. As far as the East is from the West, so far has he removed, taken away our transgressions from us. us. God doesn't hold your sins against you because of Jesus Christ. Yes, they are a big deal. Yes, they are horrific, but Jesus is better. Thinking about school starting back gets me thinking about things I experienced as a kid. Had our little uh, five-year-old son the other day told me he's getting a haircut, gotta look fresh for school, and he's getting a haircut, and he told the lady cutting his hair, he said, yeah, I'm not in pre-K anymore. Pre-K is pretend schools for babies. I'm gonna be in kindergarten. (laughs) I was like, who Who told you that? Like I, you, you have arrived, my son, yeah. big man on campus. but But thinking about school and the things that come with that, do you, you guys remember maybe maybe teachers still do this. It's probably helpful incentivize kids. but you remember the the charts that would be up on the chalkboard or the whiteboard, and you might have a magnet or a little um, clothesline clip? Is that the right word a clothesline clip? Uh, Beside, beside the board there, and if you were really good, you stayed on green all day, with a smiley face, right? And if you started having a little bit of a tude an attitude, they moved it over to maybe the yellow with a face. And then if you really struggled, they would put it on red with a bad face, right? <laughs> and I, I can remember coming home as a kid, like, Mom, I stayed on green all day long, woo yeah! Or, or having to confess, yeah, I got in the red today, I think a lot of us as Christians, we we envision our relationship with God that way, that He's up at the whiteboard and He's putting tallies by every time we do something wrong. And Brandon, if you say one more thing, I will put that clip on yellow. Don't make me do that. <laughs> and that there's just ongoing tallying uh, tallying of our sins. Listen, your sin is serious because of Jeep, G- but because of Jesus, He's not keeping a record of your sins. Yes, confession is re- important. Repentance is important is important, but you can go to God, Hebrew says, boldly with confidence, not worried about, am I in the green, am I in the red? Is he angry at me? No, you can go boldly before the throne of God because Jesus made a way for you to do that. Right. He doesn't hold your sins against you. That thing that lingers in the back of your head that you get up in the morning sometimes and think, why is that on my mind? God's forgiven you of that. He doesn't hold your sins against you. Again, that would be enough, but but David gives us more. Here's the second thing I want you to see. That God is good to you, yes, because God satisfies you with good things. It's really simple, but it's right there in the text. In verse five, he says, he satisfies you with good things. Satisfied, to give to content so that you are now full, to supply to the full. So this doesn't mean that now all God's children are rich. Ooh, no, it doesn't mean that at all. It means God knows what you need and he delights in you delighting in life. And so he's happy to give you what you need. What did you say? If you, like, you think you know how to give good gifts and you're evil, look at what I can do. God knows what you need. He also knows what you want, but it doesn't mean he's gonna give you what you want. He knows what you need. I love that it says good things. He could have said he, he satisfies you with things, or he just satisfies you, but I think he's careful to point out it's it's good things. Every little thing in life that you enjoy ultimately is from who? It's from God. James 1:17. Every good gift comes down from the Father of lights, right? comes from God. Romans eight thirty two. Paul says, if God gave us Jesus, if he didn't spare his own son, why would we doubt that he would take care of us? Why would he doubt that he would give us whatever we need? Like, he's going to provide our needs. He satisfies us with good things. He delights in doing that. He's a good father. I was laughing at my wife, and she was laughing at herself. She was at a, uh, an event recently where they were doing some get to know you type games and they had to reach in, there was a group of ladies that had to reach in and grab a, a card basically and discuss that card. And the question was, what can you not live without? What can not you live without? Um, and the first lady went and she began to talk about the Lord, how much she depends on the Lord. And my wife began to kind of smile and snicker. So the lady stopped and said like, why are you laughing at my answer? And my wife Lauren said, I just feel bad because I was going to say Dr. Pepper. <laughs> and then Lauren, Lauren, she kind of, she, again, she's okay with This me telling you this. She's, she's laughing at herself. She said she kind of dug herself in a hole because she was like, well, I was just thinking of like things that I need every day, things that are really practical. And she was like, nope, yep, still should have said God, right? Like, still should have said Jesus. But Lauren, I laughed about that. Like, I actually, actually really like Lauren's answer because even while chemically induced, <laughs> I feel like things like Dr. Pepper are a good reminder that God is a good God. (laughs) Amen. And I'm being a little silly, but I'm I'm actually not. I love what John Piper says. There are things in this life that if we did not have, we would pay $1 million to have. But having them, we ignore them. Now, I'm not saying I pay a million dollars for a Dr. Pepper. <laughs> but what about a good old West Texas sunrise or sunset? Amen. Or the laughter of a small child? Right. Or the beauty of a flower? Or the sizzle of bacon? <laughs> God is good to you. Like this, we could just stop and look around this morning, take, take, take me out of the picture, just look around the room, like, this is good, right? Gather with God's people in an air-conditioned room, worshiping the Lord. It's good. He satisfies you with good things. Don't forget them. Don't ignore them. He knows your needs. Speaking of needs, one of the greatest needs that we have as humans is the need of compassion, sympathy. And we want you to see the third thing, it jumps off the text, the third point is this. God shows you the compassion of a perfect father. He shows you the compassion of a perfect father. <clears throat> Look at what it says in verse eight. The Lord is compassionate and gracious slow to anger and abounding it's overflowing in faithful love the lord there in hebrews yahweh so covenant keeping name so god in his covenant nature who he is promised to always be who it is or what is it it's he is compassionate so even webster's the, the original webster's from 1828 i think says tender hearted is compassionate that he sees your weakness, he sees your struggle, and he, he's moved, he, he hurts with you, and he cares. He wants to act on your behalf. He's abounding in faithful love. Jump down to verse 13, it says, As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. See, a father's compassion is driven by his understanding that his children are frail children. that they're they're kids, that they're they're still weak and have needs. Look at what he says in the text, what drives God's compassion, verse 14. For, so again, he's telling us why he's compassionate. For he knows what we are made of, remembering that we are dust. He's referencing Genesis 2, 7, that God formed man out of the dust of the earth. God knows what you're made of. And He's compassionate and slow to anger. He He is as the Psalms say, near the brokenhearted. He sees your weakness and he moves toward you. He doesn't shake his head in disgust. No, he cares for you. Jesus said that if you've seen the Son, you've seen the Father. So you, have, you and knowing Jesus, you know the character of God. And Jesus said he is gentle and lowly. That's who even God the Father is. We tend to think, Jesus, oh, he loves us. And God's scary. God the Father's scary. No, even God the Father, yes, is gentle and lowly and compassionate. That's who he is. What am I? favorite pictures of compassion and particularly fatherly compassion like this is talking about is from an older movie called Cinderella Man. One of my top five movies. It's a boxing movie, so don't judge me because the name Cinderella is in it, but Cinderella Man. It's supposed to take place in the 1930s when hunger, poverty was rampant in the U.S., and tells the story of a father who was trying to get back on his feet, even trying to get back in the boxing scene. He eventually does, not to spoil it, which is a really old movie. So if you haven't seen it, it's on you at this point. But he's trying to get back in the boxing scene. But while he's waiting through that, he's also trying to get some jobs and and make a living. So one day he had gone down to the dock trying to get a shift, couldn't get any work. So he comes back home. And as he's walking into the, the yard, the apartment's where his family lives. He's got, I think, three or four children. He's walking in, his little boy says, Hey, Dad. And he says, "Hey, son." And he says, "What are you doing?" He says, "Well, I'm being good. I'm being quiet. I'm being haved." <laughs> Dad just kind of laughs. By that time, his little girl runs up to him. I think her name is Rosie. I want to say. He picks her up. He says, "Hey, Rosie." And she says, "Daddy, Jay stole." Jay was the older brother. Jay stole. He says, "What?" So he sets her down. He walks inside. Mom's there, and Jay's in the corner of the kitchen, just with his arms crossed. He won't look at anybody. Dad says, what's going on? So his wife begins to tell him the situation. He says, all right, son, let's go. We're going to take it back to the butcher. And Jay continues to sit in the corner like this. So dad says, never raises his voice, but he says, boy, don't test me. He grabs a big old piece of salami that he had stolen. And the next scene is them in the butcher shop. You can see they're having a conversation. He's giving the meat salami back. They begin to walk back to their house, walking down the sidewalk. And the son, Jay... Begins to talk for the first time in that whole scene. He tells his dad about a friend who had been sent to live with some aunts and uncles far away because his parents couldn't afford to feed his family anymore, couldn't afford to feed him anymore. So the dad realizes what's going on. That in that scene, Russell Crowe, the father, he bends over. He says, "We don't ever steal." It's never okay to steal. We don't steal, son. And then he, he bends down a little further and now he's eye to eye with his son. And he looks at his boy, Jay, he says, go ahead. And Jay, the little boy says, I promise I won't steal again. And the dad sticks out his hand and shakes his son's hand and he says, and I promise you, we will never send you away. And about that time, the boy begins to cry. And he just jumps in his daddy's arms. As his dad walks off, he pats his back and he says, It's okay, son. You just got a little scared. It's okay. That's a beautiful picture of what your heavenly father is like. He doesn't treat sin like it's a joke, it's not funny to him, but he's compassionate. What does Hebrews say? That Jesus can sympathize with our weakness. He's not a great high priest who doesn't understand and just says, I don't understand you people. No, Jesus knows what it is to be tempted. Way more than you do and I do. Why? Because we give in and we don't get to reach the full extent of the temptation. Jesus never gave in. Jesus knows what it is to be tempted. He knows what it is to be weak and tired. He knows what it is to have your friends betray you. He knows what it is to have to walk by faith in God even when it's difficult. He knows what it is to struggle and he is compassionate. You have a heavenly father who is perfect in compassion. So you don't have to cower in shame at your weakness and try to hide it from him. You can come to him knowing he cares for you and that he is near the brokenhearted. You know the cool thing? He's he's not just our dad. God, as our father, he's he's the king, y'all. The king of kings. We don't have just any daddy. We have the king of kings as our Lord, as our heavenly father, as our savior. Here's the fourth truth I want you to see in this text is this, God looks after you as your faithful king. He looks after you as your faithful king, the one true forever king. Look at some of these things in the text. Verse six, the Lord executes, excuse me, executes acts of righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He revealed his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. This idea of righteousness here is to act, to put things right. So we tend to think of... Um, righteousness in the New Testament terms of God placing the righteousness of Jesus on us. But here he's speaking of that the Lord acts to put things right. So he cares about justice, he cares about righteousness and he will act to make it right. He cares for the oppressed, it says. In verse seven, he's referring back to Israel, the people of Israel in Egypt, that God cared for them. He saw their need and he took care of them. What is it? in Exodus 3, God meets Moses in the burning bush and he's telling him what he's going to do, that the cry of his people has reached his ears, that he's, he's seen their suffering and he's going to deliver them. And Moses is like, God, I don't, I don't know if I can do it. Like, who am I? And God's like, you weren't listening, boy. I've heard my people. I've seen their suffering. I'm going to deliver them because God is the one true king. He's the hope for victory, for deliverance, for one day perfect righteousness. Over in verse 15, it says, As for man, his days are like grass. He blooms like a flower of the field. When the wind passes over, it vanishes, then its place is no longer known. So our days here in our earthly kingdom, which we do live in a great nation, but our days here are short. They are, but verse 17, but from eternity to eternity, the Lord's faithful love is toward those who fear him and his righteousness toward the grandchildren of those who keep his covenant, who remember to observe his precepts. Your time, my time on earth is short and it is weary and it is troubling, but the Lord's faithfulness to his people and his kingdom, the citizens of his kingdom, his love, his faithfulness lasts forever. Forever. It's never ending. It's why it says he's established his throne in heaven. And his kingdom rules over all. He's the one true king. And he's not just told us about his kingdom. He's not just, okay, I guess you can come in. No, he's brought us into his kingdom in faithfulness and in love. Now, I want, I want to kind of create a tension between verses 15 and 16 about the shortness of our lives and what's going on at the end of verse 3. So in 15 and 16, he says, our lives are short. Verse three, he heals all our diseases. This seems like a tension there. What's going on? Well, they're not in disagreement. He's just helping us understand. First of all, God can and does heal any and all diseases, whether it be spiritual, mental, emotional, God can heal you. Amen? He can he does so often. I think one of the things he's pointing out is that anytime we see somebody get renewed strength and vigor and be healed, whether it's physical, emotional, spiritual, whatever, God should get the credit for it. We're grateful for great nurses. We're grateful for great doctors. But ultimately, God is the one who heals. But as we think about this verse, verse three, but then that tension with verses 15 and 16, that we know life is short, I think he's also reminding us that, listen, ultimately, in God's kingdom, When you walk through the gates of heaven, you will be healed. Whatever ails you, whatever struggle, it'll be finished at that point. You will be with the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, who makes all things new. We long for that day. He says, verse four, he redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with faithful love and compassion. So uh, scholars kind of disagree, disagree exactly what he's saying there, but I think it's, it's really both, that he delivers you from the pit. So there are trials, troubles, tribulations that we experience in this life, and God does deliver us and bring us out of those things. He, he walks us through and leads us through the valley of the shadow of death. But also, even if, he, if, if we or when, we do face death on this earth, we know that because of Jesus, he has delivered us from the pit of hell, and we get to be with Jesus forever in heaven. So David's saying, ultimately, I know he's delivered me from the pit. I'm going to praise him because I'm in his kingdom forever. No matter where I go, no matter what hardship I face, no matter who encounters me and who comes against me, whatever I go through, I know God is for me and nothing can snatch me out of his hands or out of his kingdom. I'm with him forever. This past December, if you remember, I guess it was right at Christmas time, uh, Southwest, had a few problems, they figured it out. Now but they had some problems where they literally canceled like thousands of flights. And we were one of those. We were back in Florida visiting some family, our parents. And at first it said like, hey, your flight's been canceled, you're rescheduled for the next day. I think we we're flying out on a Thursday. And by the end of that day, that Wednesday, it said, your flight is now rescheduled for the following Wednesday. <laughs> Which we, we love our family, <clears throat> but we also, we love our people in Texas. And we needed to get back. So we, excuse me just for a second, I'm sorry. So we rented a van and we drove from Jacksonville, Florida which is basically on the Atlantic Ocean and just made a short drive over here to Lubbock, real quick. (laughs) So we drove through Panhandle of Florida which is nothing like Texas, but it's a good five hours. A little bit of Alabama, then kind of up through Mississippi and through Louisiana and then the big undertaking through Texas. And several times on that drive, the kids did great. But several times they'd be in the back seat, and they would innocently ask, "Are we still in America?" (laughs) Fair question, guys. Like fair question. (laughs) I I I loved that question because it really there was. We saw so many different things. We encountered thunderstorms along the way. The next minute it'd be sunny. Saw all different kinds of people, and so they were just kind of wondering, like, "Are we still in America?" And we kept saying, "Yes," like we're. We're still in the greatest nation on the earth. It's okay, right? Why i tell you that story. There's no telling what you're gonna face in this life, what hardships, what storms you will encounter. But if you've been saved by grace through faith in Jesus, wherever you go, whatever you face, you know that you are still in the kingdom of God, and he's a faithful king who will take care of your needs. I love what Charles Spurgeon says about the idea of the kingdom and we being citizens of the king. He says, of the king Jesus, his eyes never slumber, his hands never rest, his heart never ceases to beat with love, and his shoulders are never weary of carrying his people's burdens. God is good to you. All the time. And all the time, that's right. He looks after you as your faithful king. He shows you the compassion of a perfect father. He satisfies you with good things. And he doesn't hold your sins against you if you know Jesus. He's good to you. You know, all the ingredients are there. We just don't always experience and enjoy his goodness, do we? Because he is good to you. Keep your notes out if you have them because I still have a little homework for you. <clears throat> I mentioned a few weeks back ago, I'm sorry, y'all, I'm struggling here. Y'all turned me into a crybaby in here. That's the problem. <laughs> I mentioned a few weeks back ago, uh, we got to do a little family vacation in San Antonio this summer. It was fun. And um, but what I didn't tell you about was one of the things we did while we were there. We saw one afternoon at the hotel we were staying at, they had Create Your Own Ice Cream. And so I'm thinking, I'm envisioning, we're going to pay a little bit of money for ice cream. We all get ice cream. There'll be like a big bar of ice cream. We go out there and we can scoop our vanilla, or strawberry, chocolate, whatever, and then put some toppings. We'll create our own. Well, the kids are super excited. Lauren's excited. We walk out there to where they're having this create your own ice cream. And immediately I see, this is maybe not what I anticipated. So we walk up to where they're clearly beginning to serve people. And I'm like, hey, we're here for create your own ice cream. What do we do? And she, the lady hands me, she said, how many do you need? Said, well, we've got two kids. She hands me a big plastic bag. And within that plastic bag is a bunch of ice and another plastic bag full of what looks like milk. And she's like, you, what you she do, she's so positive she, when she says, you just take these bags and you just shake them for about 10 or 15, maybe 20 minutes. And when it gets good and hard, the ice cream's good and hard, then we'll, we can serve you. Oh, like, <laughs> oh, like, this is gonna be work, right? So sure enough, it was hilarious. I should have taken video. For 10 or 15, 20 minutes, all these parents around this courtyard just walking around shaking, just <laughs> shaking ice cream, right? And the kids are all crying. I want ice cream. We're like, we know you do. We're trying. <laughs> trying as hard as we can. But sure enough, put in a little bit of work shaking this ice cream. and I, I had Lauren, I was like, you watch. I'm gonna do it in 10 minutes because I'm not going any further, right? So shook it. sure enough, take it to the lady. She's like, yep, you, you did a good job. And she opens up that bag, pulls out the smaller bag. And sure enough, they the ice cream was there all along. It just needed to be stirred up a little bit, right? And man, we put some, my daughter, I don't know why she puts marshmallows in her ice cream. That's so weird to me, but she puts some marshmallows in there and all their goodies, and man, they enjoyed ice cream. They even shared a little bit with mom and dad. The ingredients were there all along. This needed a little work to be put in. Y'all, God is good to us. I think we just need to work out our gratitude muscle a little bit more. (laughs) The ingredients are there to enjoy, to delight in God's goodness to us. We just need to stir things up a bit. So here's what I want you to do. First of all, maybe you need to, at night before you go to bed, just start practicing the spiritual discipline of gratitude. by before you close your eyes, what are three things I'm grateful for, God? And don't try to like hyper-spiritualize. If you want to be real spiritual, I mean like something that sounds spiritual, go for it. But if you want to put down Dr. Pepper like my wife, go for it. Like just be honest with God. God, I'm grateful for this. Maybe at your dinner time, before you even thank God for the food, by the way, he's already blessed you because you have food, right? I'm not trying to dictate how you pray, but maybe it's better to just say, thank you, God. He's already blessed you. He's already blessed it. Thank you, God, for this food. Maybe before you thank him, maybe you just thank him for some other things too. Or like, what if you share it around your table? Hey, what's one thing you're grateful for today? But here's what I want you to do right now. You should have, unless you've drawn some pictures. I'd love to see them later if you did. But on the back of that sheet of paper, your notes, there's a big box. I'm gonna be quiet for a minute and just give you a second to practice the gratitude muscle And just write down as much as you can and see if you can't fill up that box. If you need to use a big font, that's okay. (laughs) Write down some things you're grateful for. Because God is good to you. If you can't think of anything, well then just steal from the sermon. writing, but I just want to share our heart's desire. My heart's desire. I think the the point of this text is that we would be a people of gratitude that not just on Sundays, but every day we would have posture. It says, my soul, bless the Lord. All that I was, and that is within me, that is within me. Bless the Lord because God, you're good to me. How different would your family life look, your work life look, your friend life look, your school life look, if you every day had gratitude in your heart because you know God is so good to you. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message.